there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast for the week of, I don't know, it is the 5th, January 5th, January 4th, something like it. Very yeah. early, January 2012. Uh, McMaster, back me up on that. What's today? Uh, 4th. Very good. Uh, I am Tom Chick, and I would like you to know that my game of the week is not All Zombies Must Die. And I'm uh, Jason McMaster, and uh, my game of the week is certainly not Maple Story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I'm Tim Smith, otherwise known as Union Carbide on the forums, and my game of the week is definitely not Skyrim. Whoa, wow. whoa, whoa, Tim! That's a pretty controversial statement to throw down with this early. <laughs> Last week it would have been, but not this week. I see you've moved on. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what that game of the week is. But first, uh, you apparently, if I were to come over to your house, Tim, if like me and McMaster, we knocked on the door and you let us in and we're like sitting around and you would say to us what you say to most people when they come to your house and hang out, you would say, hey, do you want a beer? And me and McMaster would be like, yeah, sure, we'll have a beer. You might very well hand us some weird, funky-looking thing that probably doesn't even have a real label on it. Like, I'm imagining maybe you scrawl some, something like, Tim's beer on it. And <laughs> no, it's not, it's not yeah. quite that ghetto. Okay, well, then, then talk me through that. What's actually going to happen when you give me some funky-looking beer that, like, like it's not going to be like a Miller or a Heineken or something, is it? What, what am I going to get? Well, uh, I have just recently picked uh, home brewing back up again. So what you, at the moment, what you would be getting is you would be getting a uh, an IPA that's about uh, 5.2% uh, alcohol by content made with uh, some very lovely Cascade hops. And... Uh, it's uh, right now. It is sitting in a small uh, two and a half gallon keg that it resides in my refrigerator. You know, I have no idea what lovely Cascade hops are, but they sound very, very idyllic. Well, they're uh, it's if you've ever had a uh, Sierra Nevada ale, you know what the what Cascade hops are like because that's like the the quintessential flavoring and bittering hop that's used in uh, in a Sierra Nevada pale ale. Now, uh, tell me what happened that after, I think you said 10 years, or more than 10 years of not making beer, what, what possesses you to pick this up again? It can't be something you just on a whim decide to do one day. Well, no. Uh, my dad had been pestering me about it, uh, about starting back up again uh, because he's, he's retired now and he's looking for new hobbies. So uh, we basically went and bought five $600 worth of brewing equipment and have since made five batches of beer. Which is pretty cool way to hang out with your dad, I guess, and uh, making beer and drinking the beer from the previous batch. So I, it's been will, a lot of fun. I will say, Tim, as far as like being peer pressured into something, it certainly beats what McMaster was trying to get me to do, which was to play Star Wars: The Old Republic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which you should play, by the way. Don't tell me that. I don't believe. Oh, I don't, yeah. Hold on, I don't believe you believe that for a minute, Tim. Is that true? It's absolutely true. Have you outed your game of the week by any chance? Uh, maybe a little. Okay, we'll, we'll hold that thought then. Uh, you also live in the Bay Area. Uh, you know, when you said where you lived, you said it was north of San Francisco. Uh, I didn't even... I, I think when somebody says north of San Francisco and they don't actually say, like, San Francisco, I assume they're in that vast stretch of wilderness that I don't even think is part of the continental United States yet. I don't know if you've incorporated it, but I drove to Portland once, and once you hit San Francisco, you think, okay, it's just a little ways, and you're going to hit Oregon. It's like 10 hours to go. Oh, yeah. So, 
So when you said where you lived, I assumed you were in that wilderness area, that unclaimed territory. You were actually only 40 minutes outside of San Francisco, and you mentioned that you work in the city, and in the morning you have a mile to go, you get on a BART train, and you just hang out and ride into the city. So what I'm curious about, Tim Smith, what do you do for, let me do some quick math, 40 plus 40 is 108, no, it's 80, it's an hour and 20 minutes. What do you do for an hour and 20 minutes every day while you're just kicking back, chilling on a train? Uh, at the moment, I'm rereading the Culture series by Ian Banks. Oh, those those big old spaceship things. Yes. Give me the name of one of the spaceships from that series. Uh, lapsed Pacifist. <laughs> That's fantastic. Is that the best thing about those books? What, what? I love, I love, every in Star Trek Online, every single ship I have is named after uh, one of the general service vehicles. Now, explain to folks, actually, real quick, McMaster, do you know what these books are? You're, you're yeah. a geek, you should know this. You don't know the, okay. I, I don't know. Uh, Tim, explain to someone like McMaster, what's the deal with these these sci-fi books? Okay, so the main civilization in the culture series is, unsurprisingly, the culture. And what they are is they are a post-scarcity government that spans pretty much the entire galaxy. And they... It consists of the various human subtypes plus what are called the minds, which are artificial intelligences that manage pretty much the entirety of the society. And so the large ships and space stations are all actually citizens of, of the culture. And they, are, they name themselves, and they seem to have a very uh, odd sense of humor about what they name themselves. And there's like a running joke in, in the series of ships that are named various. It's the Gravitas series of ships where... The first one was named Insufficient Gravitas, and <laughs> another one is definitely sensing a lack of gravitas around here and uh, <laughs> things like that, which basically, apparently, they all stemmed from some uh, some diplomat's comment that, uh, that the ships were not named with very much gravitas, so... Now, I've actually, I've never read these, Tim, but uh, to hear you describe them, they sound like downright Douglas Adams. Aren't they fairly serious, though, as far as, like, sci-fi goes? Oh, yeah, as far as, as, far as the stories themselves go, there's certainly elements of humor in them, but uh, the, they are frequently deadly serious. What is a good uh, culture series uh, book for someone to start with? I absolutely start with Consider Flebus, or I'm actually not not certain how to pronounce it, but it's uh, that's I'm pretty sure it's the first book. It's a good introduction to the fact that the that uh, frequently the main character isn't actually a member of of the culture, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's it really addresses the whole themes of how how people that aren't part of the culture feel about the culture moving into their areas and things like that it's it's a fairly decent political book in addition to having a pretty good uh pretty good action set pieces and things okay. like that okay so you're basically saying start at the beginning like where you good awesome all right uh jason T. McMaster. Now, Tim mentioned the the ship Lapsed Pacifist, and that makes me think, you know, that's an awesome name. I play plenty of games, I suspect you do too, McMaster, where you have to name a ship. Like, I think of Pirates of the Burning Sea, or I don't know if you could name your ships in Sid Meier's Pirates, but I have my usual ship name. Do you have any such name, Jason McMaster, that you normally use for a ship in a game? Not usually. No, I mean... um don't think so. Do you get to name your ships in Old Republic? You don't, do you? Don't they come named? No. 
No, I don't know if it's named or not. No, no they're named after their classes. All right, well, that's sad. All right, well, McMaster, if you can't provide your normal ship name, I'm going to give you a moment to think of one, and I'm going to explain mine. Uh, actually, I don't have an explanation for it. It's just these two words that fell together at some point over my long history as a video gamer naming ships. Uh, my go-to default name for a ship, the Pissed Civet. Don't know what it means. Yep, don't know where I got it. Don't know what it means. It might be from some book I read and I forgot, but that's my default name. So, McMaster, I'm going to drop you right now into a video game where you get a sailing ship. We need a name. What are you going to type into that blank spot? Hmm, Dr. Pants. (laughs) Jason McMaster, I will say one thing about you. You do not disappoint. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Uh, All right. Please. Let's, uh, Let's... do a little video game talk. McMaster, why don't you run the show? We have three topics for people today. Where should we go first, McMaster? Let's start with news. News of the week. Now, there's probably not any news, so I don't know about you guys. I'm curious to see what folks have come up with. McMaster, I'm sorry I cut you off, though. Go ahead. Who's going first? Uh, You know what? Uh, Tom, why don't you go first? My news of the week isn't really news. It's a sign that there isn't much news. Uh, I've, uh, over the break, been playing a little bit of um, some games that I want to play. Uh, I didn't have, you know, I was I was past that point of making lists and trying to catch up releases. So the couple of things that I'd been playing for fun were Space Pirates and Zombies and also Rift. And in both of those games... Well past Christmas, they had their dippy little, like, you know, I sound like a Scrooge. I should say they had their charming little Christmas mod stuff going. In Space Pirates and Zombies, when you're flying around, you would see Santa Claus zip by in the background, and he would drop a bunch of presents that you could shoot open, and you would get resources out of them. And and instead of asteroids, there were candy canes, and one of the guns, instead of shooting lasers, was shooting snowballs. And, oh, it was just so precious. And Christmas rolls around and passes, and it's still going. Now, to their credit, you can switch that stuff off when you start the game. From the front end, there's a default mod that'll load up, and you can just turn that off, but I couldn't be bothered. So, Space Pirates and Zombies, they had their uh, Christmas decorations up forever. They just turned them off by default today. I was very glad about that. But, more to the point, in Rift, you know, you guys play MMOs, and you know what it's like. There's this degree of immersion when you're walking around in either a fantasy or a sci-fi world. But in freaking Rift, everywhere, these stupid Christmas trees pop up with presents around them. And you can pick them up for a little bonus. And, and they had a new uh, a snowflake resource that you could collect and turn in for Santa hats and stuff like that. And again, Christmas comes, Christmas goes, and those freaking Christmas trees are still everywhere. New Year's comes and goes, there's still freaking Christmas trees everywhere. So, my kind of non-news of the day is they finally turned that off today in Rift as well. So there's my news, is that games are finally freaking taking down their Christmas tree lights, and I couldn't be happier. Technically, technically they're taking them down early. They should stick them up until the 6th, and then they can bring them down. Okay, now, Tim, why is that the rule? What's going on where where the 6th is the day that that comes down? Uh, you're familiar with the 12 days of Christmas? That's when the 12 days of Christmas were, were would end. Oh, so on... you start counting Christmas? That, hmm. Oh, I thought it was, like, leading up to Christmas. Well, you know what? That does explain a lot, but uh, all right. 
Well, the actual explanation, I'm sure, is just that uh, everybody's out of the office for the week and they don't want to pay people overtime to take this stuff down. <laughs> Very considerably point. less romantic, but what are you going to do? And also, and I, I don't know uh, if you quite have this level of, of, if you guys both have this level of weather, but it just so doesn't feel Christmassy to me today. You know, my doors have, and windows have been open. It's warm outside. I, I'm wearing shorts, and I'm. I, it's just, it doesn't feel like Christmas. So I just think, you know what? Let's move on. Yeah, it's not quite that bad, or bad. It's not quite that mild up here, but it is. It's not feeling wintry yet. McMaster in the, in the yeah. What's it like where you are? In the thirties. That's Celsius, right? No, no. I wish. <laughs> uh, McMaster, have you had snow? Yeah, we had snow a couple of days ago. That's awesome. Would you do me a favor? No. Come on, <laughs> McMaster. Okay, uh, here. Maybe. Okay. All right, here, I'll give you a dollar if you, next time you're outdoors and your wife is around, if you take sure. a snowball and throw it at her. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, she deserves it, probably. She, and, and specifically say, that is for beating Tom's high score in <laughs> the Moon Knight table of Pinball FX2. I want you to r- commit those words to memory, hit her with a okay. snowball, and then say those things, okay? Okay, I will, I will. Awesome. All right. All right, so that's my news of the week. Uh Christmas, I, I, you know, I thought they were finally down, but they're down early, and I couldn't be happier. The the Christmas decorations and games. There you go. Yeah, Cave Stories is still uh, tons of Christmas decorations. Well, tell them they have two more days, and then it's got to go. I will. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, Tim, you want to go next? Okay, my news story is actually sort of a collection of things, and this is... Nobody is going to care about this except for me and like five other people on the forums. One of which is uh, Crichton from New Zealand. Can I guess? And, then, can I guess what this relates to? Yes. I'll just guess the subject matter. I'm guessing it has something to do with rally racing. Very good, sir. Ah, all right, take it away. Okay, so uh, there have been almost F1 levels of of drama in the in the brief off season for rally racing. Uh, the short version is, is one driver got fired, uh, another lead driver moved over to take his place as a secondary driver and all this other stuff is going on. But the, the reason this is my news of the week is not because of any of that, but because the, my all time favorite driver for as long as I've, as I've watched rally seriously is Petter Solberg. And he's been having a hell of a time over the last couple of years because Subaru dropped out of the World Rally Championship in 2008, and he has not had a factory seat to to race with. He's he's basically put together his own team for the last three years and used the cast-offs of the Citroen team. Uh, he literally was driving the first season with his team. He was driving a car that was two years out of date and was doing really well with it. But now... He has finally gotten a seat back on a professional team. Stop snoring. I can hear it. <laughs> I, you no, know, you, I'm, I, you say snoring, but I'm hearing a, a little bit of a Cinderella story going here. Who doesn't love a Cinderella story, Tim? Well, I don't know. but <laughs> So he finally got back with Ford, which is the team that he started with back in 2000. Uh, they hired him on. He's the secondary driver to Jari uh, uh, Matti Latvala, who's the Finnish ace. I guess they're calling him now, although he's he is the youngest driver ever to have won a world rally race. Mm-hmm. And he's so he's back on a team. Uh, the season starts up in two weeks, actually a week and a half now. And I couldn't be happier. And that's my story of the week. 
Okay, now I have a question, not really game related, but in a way, I, this totally works for me because I like my dirt. Uh, you know that that racing game that Codemasters publishes. Yes. Um, first of all, say this guy's name again. Which one? Uh, the is he, he's, Petter, Petter, Petter Solberg. Yes. Right, now is it is it like Peter? Yes. Peter with two T's. Ah, okay. Is he's he, Norwegian. Does he appear in any game I might have played? In a, indirectly. Uh, his car is in, has been in the last two, um, the last two Gran Turismo's. Oh, I haven't. Ew, I didn't play yeah. those. Come on, okay. Tim. Well, <laughs> fair enough. But I, as low as I go is Forza. <laughs> ooh, I, I'll have words with you about that, but not right now. I, believe me, you will, because I'm going to be baiting you with something a little later. Uh, I'm sure you are. So, uh, why? I'm curious. When uh, I know other people's sports, like. As far as I know sports, I understand that, you know, like you root for the team that's at your city, whatever. Like if there was the the Concord Starfishes playing hockey or whatever, that would be your favorite hockey team because that's where you live. Why on earth is this guy your favorite driver? What about him makes him your favorite driver? Uh, What about he is when he wins, you know, he is he's the most uh, he's the most outgoing excited driver when he wins <laughs> he completely loses his mind he he it's it's great and and uh, watching him talk about the sport you can you can feel the enthusiasm everything everything about him and his brother also is is a rally driver they uh he competes for a uh, like a secondary ford team in the same series and uh and it's really funny just watching them together and I think my favorite my favorite bit was when he when he got the new um, when he got the the new Citroen after Subaru dropped out. Like the first rally he was back, he placed uh, he placed on the podium, which he hadn't done for like a year because Subaru's car had been so bad, and everybody was blaming him, saying, "Oh, you just don't have it anymore. You know, you're too old. You can't do it." And he comes back, and he was just he's cry- he had done so well. He's like crying on the podium practically, and they're interviewing him, and he. And he says, I, I just wanted to say to all the people that that said that have been saying things for the last for the last year, up yours. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very cute. He sounds yeah. very enthusiastic. You know, when you first said that, Tim, you made me think of like Roberto Benini accepting an Academy Award. Yes. <laughs> but it sounds like this guy is a little more style and uh, a little more brash about it. So. Yeah. All right, Petter Soderberg will be racing again. Everyone Solberg. Your eyes. Solberg. Not the. Uh, not a director. <laughs> no relation to Steven Soderbergh, yes. who has a movie coming out this this month. I'm enthusiastic about that. Uh, and also, Petter Soderbergh, no relation, driving again. Good. Yes. All right. McMaster, who is left? Hmm. Uh, that would be me. Did you have trouble, McMaster, coming up with news of the week? No, it's just a ton of news this week. I don't know what your problem is. Really? Um, all right. Well, yeah. That's what I mean, just to mention a few. Let's see. Uh, Bastion surpasses five hundred thousand copies sold. Uh, Bethesda ah. Interplay reached settlement in their Fallout dispute with the Fallout MMO. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, I'm actually uh, my news of the week is uh, um, going to be my friends. Mm-hmm. By uh, my friend, and I believe you know him as well, Tom Evan Narcisse on uh, Kotaku. He, he writes for Kotaku now. Mm-hmm. Found uh, patent information that shows that the next Xbox uh, may also be a DVR, which I think is pretty cool. Like a TiVo. Right. Right. 
Yeah. Is that cool though? I mean, how how do you feel about that, McMaster? Hey, I like free DVR. Well, not free per se, because all but but still, uh, a built-in DVR is kind of a cool idea. I, re- I really like the idea of being able to like queue things up, save you know live television stuff. I don't know. You know, doesn't I guess I could. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tim. Doesn't your set-top box do that already? Well, here's the thing: I don't have cable. Ah, fair enough. Neither do I. Yeah, I don't. I don't like cable. So, like the whole idea of maybe being able to eventually freaking do something through the internet like that. Like, I mean, yeah, I use Hulu and uh, Netflix, but uh, well, then wait, yeah. then why would? Because that was what I was wondering, uh, McMaster. So, to both of you, uh, both you, Tim, and you, Jason, why would a DVR matter? Because I'm the same way. I don't have cable. I don't watch TV on my. TV, I do it through things like Hulu and, and Netflix. Um, so why should I care if if Microsoft's going to put a DVR in their next Xbox? You know, I like sports. Uh, you know, I like I would like to catch you know, like some football games, that kind of thing. Um, I also some of my favorite shows aren't really on uh, Hulu, uh, so just things like that. So, so wait, go ahead, Tim. Sorry. So. Uh, the your anticipation then is that Microsoft is actually going to be able to sign all these deals with with uh, Comcast or whoever to get their content onto the Xbox without a cable connection. Ah, that's what I'm hoping. Now, also, I'm hoping that possibly there's some you know possibility of like over air uh, input, but I am not going to hold my breath on that one. But, so you're uh, looking forward to it for the content that's going to be on. Uh, Xbox Live or whatever on on their the content they're pushing being able to DVR that stuff you're saying right okay. that's what I'm hoping at least now if it just like is just like a television input from a cable which I I, can, I hope that's not it then you know then whatever but if you can somehow manage to work out some sort of like internet cable deal of some sort and who knows by the time they release that thing I'm sure they're not exactly like you know, working on it too hard. Right. Uh, yeah. now, now, McMaster, I don't mean to poo-poo your news of the week, but here's how I'll put it. Uh, wake me when they put a Blu-ray player in that thing. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. That might have been, they, that they been a little harsh. Uh, I, the thing is, just as a media center, I end up using my PS3 much more often because, you know, Blu-ray players have much more value to my viewing habits than than like a DVR, I think. Uh, I just have them. I have them both uh, hooked up, and yeah, I just I don't know. I like the 360 better for a lot of that stuff, but of course Blu-ray, you know. Now, uh, uh, McMaster, so this is uh, Evan uncovered. You said uh, some patent information. This isn't anything that yeah. Microsoft has has addressed yet. Am I correct? Right, right. Yeah, it was on December 27th. The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office granted a patent to Microsoft for a device that would serve at both as both a game console and a digital video recorder. So now, why yeah. on earth was he digging around in patent information? Hmm. You know Evan; he's crazy. <laughs> Weird right. sense of fun, that Evan. <laughs> I, I actually once got uh, a, t- a. You know, I can say this. I once got a tip over email, like, "Hey, you should look into what trademark such and such company recently licensed." And I was like, "Oh, a tip! Awesome!" And then sort of floundered around, having no idea how to look up trademark licenses, and it just went by the wayside. And later on, came out, and I could have been on board that, but I just have no idea how to do that sort of thing. So good for Evan for knowing that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, all right, McMaster. 
Those then were our news stories of the week. Where shall we go from here? Well, we can go to post, I believe. Mm. Let me jump in first. Uh, because we have a little special treat, uh, we have a special guest, a fellow named Rob, who posts as Repo Man, uh, gathered with several other folks from the forum to nerd out in his basement, and I bring you the following special report. All right, so I am here with a poster named Repo Man. Uh, your first name is Rob. So, uh, Rob, you apparently recently played something called the Artemis Spaceship Bridge Simulator with several yeah. folks from quarter to three. Now, why don't you tell the uninitiated what what the heck is that? Well, it's a uh, multiplayer simulation that I read about a number of, I don't know, a year or two ago on QT3 and was intrigued by it at the time, but recently realized that we actually had the space to really do it. It's basically Star Trek, uh, multiplayer Star Trek-like simulation where you have six or so networked laptops in the same room, each of them controlling a different bridge station. And the game really requires cooperation among the players in order to have any kind of success at all. And one of the um, one of the positions is the captain, who actually has no computer whatsoever. They just watch the bridge screen that is controlled by a different player. So if they want to see something, they have to actually tell that player. Now, long range scanners on screen, and so so there's a lot of role playing, a lot of cooperation, and um, and a lot of plain old space strategy geekery. Now, as far as then the basic gameplay, the impression I'm getting is that it's it's built around this idea that each player has a specific role, and only that player has access to specific information and it's about cooperating to bring that information together and tackle a tactical situation is that is that basically what's going on that's exactly right the game structure is set up to incentivize cooperation for example if you are coming up on an enemy ship the science engineer uh, the science officer can tell you what frequency the ship's shields are tuned to, and the I believe the weapons officer can then tune your beams to counter that frequency, which something like doubles your beam effectiveness. So mm-hmm. so if you get in the habit of constantly having that chatter of coming up on this bogey, what's the frequency? Frequency C, Roger. Frequency C, locked in. Engage beams. You get this kind of choreography that emerges from the cooperation incentives that um, that really sort of enhances both the role play and the success in the uh, in the game world. Mm-hmm. Now let, let's talk about your specific crew. Uh, it was you, we had Denny Atkin, Alan Al, uh, Taktu, Panda, Jason McCullough, and uh, Pogue Mahone. Yes. Uh, so that I presume uh, that that's one person more than the game supports. So one of the one of the players or one of those folks tended to serve as an embedded journalist, and you guys sort of live blogged it on on quarter to three. Uh, now, as far as moving around to different stations, uh, did you personally have a favorite? Was there one? Is, are, was the conventional wisdom afterwards that some stations suck more than others? How did people feel about the different roles? Uh, it was interesting, actually. The different roles definitely have different degrees. Uh, Alan R. had a good uh, write-up on this. Basically said, helm and engineering are full-time positions. You're always doing something, whether you're in or out of combat. Weapons and science are more only when you're in combat or in a hazardous situation. And comms is pretty low intensity overall, um, as is in some ways the captain. The captain is sort of responsible for making large tactical or large strategic decisions like, you know, where are we going next? What's our overall, you know, plan? 
But when it comes to actually the second-to-second execution of taking things out, we were seeing near the end of the session that Alan Au and Denny Atkin and um, Tactu on engineering were building up their own rhythm. They were like, okay, frequency, C, lock, engine, you know, beam power to 100%, firing. And so the, the capital was just kind of letting them do their thing. So as to whether which of those suck the most, it depends on your temperament. Pogue Mahone said that he was quite happy running comms, actually, because it was relatively low overhead and he could kind of sit back and watch and contribute from time to time um, without having a lot of kind of second-to-second pressure like Alan was continuously, you know, managing our speed versus vector all the way through the game. So um, so it, it's a nice... It's actually kind of nice that the roles have different demands because it makes room for different temperaments. I, I did notice that at one point, I think it was maybe Pogue, wrote that uh, Jason McCullough turned to him and said, I, I have nothing to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, there, that's definitely that, part yeah. of it. It's not I, a... I was frantically embedding away. The embedded journalist, it turns out, is also a very high traffic position. <laughs> what happens. But, um, but yeah, Jason was bemused by how effectively his crew was, uh, was functioning. So it sounds in a way uh, like it, it, it's got a bit of that, that board game vibe where it's only as good as the sort of level of enthusiasm or the investment that players bring to it. Uh, if you had someone who's not into it, he could tear the whole thing down, it seems like. Yeah, TAC2 had made that point in the uh, in the thread, and it's a good one. It would definitely be a griefer's nightmare. You know, if you had someone who was just deliberately doing the wrong thing, then it would be pointless to continue, because they would obviously be able to steer the ship straight into a star anytime they want. <laughs> um, so that, that would be a total fail mode. And also, if you had a captain who was, you know, overly hinkty about people doing the right thing at the right moment, you know, you kind of want a good-humored, oh, no, what, what, I meant go that way, sort of attitude. <laughs> Probably more fun than a, I told you to turn 37.5 degrees five seconds ago, damn it. So it, it definitely depends on the mix of people you have. But, um, you know, fortunately, quarter to three, we all had some prior exposure to each other, at least in verbal form, and the level of good humor in the room was very high, which is definitely a requirement, I would say. Now, I want to ask you a couple of things about the specific gameplay. Uh, I, I get the sense that it is, of course, very tactical. There are different kinds of missiles, and you mentioned the shield frequency stuff. Uh, it sounds like there's also a kind of a basic resource model with queuing up uh, weapons at star bases that you then go pick up. Is that correct? There's a little resource management? That is correct. Uh, we did not really get to the level of skill that would require us to play that uh metagame very heavily so i think we were basically doing things like say everyone make nukes and you know okay well maybe we'll get over there and there's, there's actually a um a, another level of that is occasionally star bases will say if you come here and get data that we need to get to this other base we will then double our production speed so there's kind of a quid pro quo mission uh, little mini mission mechanic that we also did not make time for. We were so busy trying to figure out how to stay alive and take out as many mobs as possible that we were sort of like, oh, yeah, go get your data right. Like, we have time for that. They were but, giving you quests. <laughs> yeah, they were, but we were way too busy just killing things, killing mobs to, uh, to take them on. So that's something that will probably emerge more as we get deeper into the game. I think there are probably several systems that we actually have very little clue about even as yet. We, have, we haven't really... We, I sort of deliberately didn't do a deep dive on the wiki beforehand because I wanted the you know naivete to uh, to have its own sort of humor value. But it turned out that everyone learned the game much faster than I expected. So calling it the USS Failboat as I did was actually not a great name in the end. Now you guys did four missions, and it sounds like you only actually failed one of them. Is that correct? 
That is, but it was, uh, we went from difficulty two to difficulty five, and we got thoroughly stomped and concluded that the difficulty scale was logarithmic, so we backed off a lot. I think that now, though, one huge difference was when we got Alan on the helm, because he was using the classic sort of turn and burn uh, fighter pilot schemes to, you know, get in, get your torpedo load off, warp out quick, 180 degree turn, and come back in again before they can even turn around to to catch you. I don't think the AI is that well suited to deal with those tactics. So, mm -hmm. and I think the game probably wants you to use, you know, very aggressive maneuvering tactics like that to succeed. So, as we develop those kind of skills, I expect we'll probably keep cranking the difficulty up and increase the tension dramatically. Now, there are two other systems that you guys mentioned that I'm curious about. One of them, it sounds like ships, enemy ships can surrender. Is there a, a sort of a morale thing at work? What what determines that? That seems to be determined by level of um, shield and hull damage. I didn't get a detailed read from our science officer on exactly the condition of the surrendering ships, but it was definitely, you know, they take more than... They lose enough shield to start taking real hull damage, and they get cowardly, or at least okay. many of the smaller ones do. Some of the larger ones, the dreadnoughts and so forth, kept coming at us. Um, you know, we had to beat them into a cloud of plasma to get them to go away. So <laughs> it, definitely, uh, it, it definitely varies by ship type, I think. Mm -hmm. Another thing that you mentioned, and it sounds like you guys are none the wiser about this, uh, but you had a brief description of something that happened with anomalies. What's going on there from what you can tell? I was actually so busy live blogging and, and dealing with my terrible photo workflow that I have to optimize <laughs> that I actually missed a lot of the interaction with the anomaly myself, so I didn't see exactly what he was referring to. But I know that on the map they show up as purple dots with question marks under them. And I think that if I get to be captain again, which I was captain um, for the first portion of the session we did, and then I was journalist for the rest... If I do captain again, I'm always almost certainly going to uh, ask that we go figure out what the heck those things actually are, even if it kills us, because now I'm very curious. Yeah, I, there was a, a display on the uh, end mission sort of debrief screen of anomalies collected, and you guys had a, a big old fat zero there. Yeah, I would, uh, as Alan said, we went after it, and apparently it started following us and shooting at us, and so we ran away as quickly as we could, and that was that. So there's certainly something more. I'm trying to resist the temptation to look on the wiki and just see what the deal is. Right. So, you know, leave it unknown. You can only uh, discover what an anomaly is for the first time once. <laughs> yes, so. exactly. So we might as well, you know, maximize the immersion on that. Uh, does this, uh, describing this this sort of gameplay and the experience you guys had, uh, does it remind you of any other games uh, that you've played? Um, to be honest, not exactly. I, I mean, I, I do know that they have had multi-station um, you know, command and control games in the world before, but I haven't actually personally played any of them. And all of the multiplayer I've played, which is actually relatively minimal, has been either pure you know, co-op, homogenous co-op, where each person is playing the same role, like a different, you know, army or a different whatever, but they're all kind of functionally comparable, um, or pure competitive. So, right. so yeah, it's definitely unique in that way. And, and it's clear that a lot of thought has gone into it in terms of creating those incentives for, you know, not only incentives, but actual ability to generate effective moment-to-moment -moment interpersonal tactics, um, that really make a huge difference. You know, our, our, if you look at the, we had one screen cap of our first victory screen, and we had like two enemies killed, and the last one was something like 
16 or 18 enemies killed. So we were getting, you know, rapidly more effective as we picked up on that stuff. Well, one of the things that it... I can't, say, I can't say that I have had that exact experience in any previous game. Right. Well, one of the things that it kind of reminds me of, certainly not exactly, but I can see similarities, uh, there are cooperative board games uh, that kind of play on that same... A similar dynamic, and I'm thinking specifically, uh, there's a Battlestar Galactica board game where everybody has a limited role with like what uh, what they can do, like how they can best serve the overall mission, and it's about coming together to maximize that. The, the twist in Battlestar Galactica, of course, is that you've got this whole traitor dynamic, uh, which throws a completely different wrench into the works. Right. Um, actually, considering some metagaming for that at our next session, it looks like we have enough interest that if everyone can actually come, we probably will have enough to run two ships. And at that point, we get into, you know, okay, are those ships working together or are they working at cross-purposes? Are we doing PvE or PvP? Um, you know, we could have an admiral and one ship could mutiny, and, you know, who knows where that could go. So that's actually, that would be another whole level that I don't even know is directly supported in the game, but we could probably layer that on top. But there is in-game support for two separate ships in the same scenario? It appears to be up to four, actually. Mm-hmm. So I think you can get up to 24 total positions um, in the same simulation. Now, as far as what you're getting when you buy a copy of the, the Artemis Spaceship Bridge Simulator, uh, the, the developer's name is Tom Robertson. It seems like a one-man project. He's made clear that as long as one person in the group has paid for a license, you can invite as many friends and not feel like you're pirating anything. I mean, he's very clear about as long as there's one owner, it's it's a free-for-all. Everybody is welcome. Yep. Uh, uh, now, um what uh, are there any specific plans for so that you guys have sort of talked about like everyone's enthusiastic about maybe trying it again there's no specific date yet for a second uh, outing well the, I proposed February 8th mm-hmm. um, uh, February 8th February, no February 5th uh, I think first Sunday in February mm-hmm. so we'll see what kind of uptake we get on that but um, but yeah I definitely want it to happen again um, we, and we also had a few kids there, which was good. So we kind of want to get some of the kids of the gamer dads involved to, you know, maybe if we can get into a rhythm where the kids are playing upstairs and the grown-ups are playing downstairs, that would be pretty much optimal because then it both makes childcare more fun and it gets involved <laughs> to some extent. Now, I noticed that in addition to, to some uh, younger crew members, uh, wasn't there at least one wife present? There was, yes, and she was quite fascinated by it all, although she was mostly running interference for the kids, so she didn't get to, uh, to participate. Uh, what? Sure she would have wanted to, but she was quite impressed by the scale of everything that was happening, so mm-hmm. she was happy it was going on. Was there any, uh, other than I know, like goofing around and quoting Rathacon lines, was there anything that you would describe as role-playing? Um, well, I mean, the game sort of mandates functional role-playing, you know, anytime you say, anytime the captain says, you know, get us out of here, helmsman, and you say, yes, sir, that's role-play, even if it's purely in the service of effectively functioning within the game. So the the, the structure of the game is a role-playing structure in that sense, I would say. Um, I mean, if you, it's interesting, I was wondering... I was thinking about sort of cooperative games with different roles, and I was comparing it to a massively multiplayer game like Healer versus Tank or whatever. Yep. But it's radically different because in, the, in that situation, you know, each player is, uh, you know, a unit of their own. But in this, in Artemis, each player is a component of the whole. So, you know, you sort of, if, without the helmsman, the weapons officer is useless and vice versa. And, and that, that 
is sort of a stronger bond than exists in a typical MMO, you know, um, what dungeon running scenario. Right. There's a there's a shooter that I'm quite fond of that not a lot of people played called Lost Planet 2. And maybe about a third of the way into Lost Planet 2, uh, the entire game is, is designed so that four players can play at any one time. That's fairly common in a lot of shooters, that sort of thing. But about a third of the way into the game, everybody gets on a, a train, which has a big old artillery gun mounted on it, and a huge worm starts attacking it. And there's a sequence where some people have to load the gun, other people have to fire it, some people have to man a turret, other people actually have to, you have to run coolant on the gun. Like, somebody has to go down to a cooling panel and, like, repeatedly press a button to, to cool the gun down. Uh, that reminds me a, b- a bit of what you're describing. And I think a lot of people hated that because this is such a weird, unique approach to gameplay. And some people don't want that in their shooter. Uh, right. I, I mean, I can definitely see where, I mean, almost, almost every shooter in the world is lone wolf. And so to be kind of jerked into teamwork all of a sudden without expecting it, I could see that would be jarring. But right. Artemis, you know exactly what you're getting going in. Right. Uh, do you know of a of an upcoming? Uh, I don't know if it's like an MMO. I don't think it's technically an MMO, but there's a game coming out early in 2012 called Guns of Icarus. Have you heard of this? Uh, I think the title has floated across my eyeballs, but that's about it. Well, they're doing a they're doing a it's a steampunk theme where players are crew members on a steampunk blimp or Zeppelin or whatever, and you fight another Zeppelin. Uh, and it's very similar. So you have different roles on the ship and then the two ships. And it's it's a, a competitive multiplayer thing, but players on the same team have to occupy different roles on the Zeppelin. Reminds me a bit of what Artemis did. Yeah, uh, so, all right, so hopefully, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we'll get more of this on February 5th. I have to say, those photographs of you guys are, are just absolutely adorable, with Denny wearing his Mass Effect shirt, and you can see, I guess that's Denny's kid in the background, and, and certainly Jason has this very captainly aspect, like him sitting there in that chair with you guys around him. Uh, I think I would pick him as looking the most captainly. Yeah. Yeah, we actually didn't get a picture of me as captain, so next time we'll have to make sure all the captains get equal coverage. We can maybe have a poll for most captainly mean. Uh, I, I just want to suggest, Rob, if you want to look really captainly, maybe consider a little cosplay. Yeah, that we, <laughs> very many people in the group are quite resistant to that. You know? And I think we're going for more kind of a firefly, you know, casual, maybe we'll like wear old West costumes or something. I like that. I fully support that. Uh, all right. Well, Rob, thank you so much for telling me about this. Uh, best of luck getting another group together, and I, I hope we'll be hearing about it uh, shortly after February. Thank you, Tom. We'll definitely chronicle whatever we do, because that's definitely part of the fun for us. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. Cheers. All right. All right and uh, we're back. And, Tim, why don't you take us uh, on the next one there? Okay. Well, I cheated on this one, too, because um, I didn't really have a uh, gaming news story that I was too interested, or I'm sorry, a gaming post that I was too interested in. So uh, I picked a recent article about uh, uh, Neil Tyson, uh, the the uh, the noted astronomer who is now taking over uh, and doing, I shouldn't say taking over Cosmos, but he's uh, doing a new Cosmos series with the blessing of uh, Carl Sagan's widow. Mm-hmm. And uh, I s- sent the link to Tom, which I don't have handy. But it's, it's a great it's a great interview in uh, in Playboy of all places. Yes, I read it for the articles. <laughs> the <Busted>. obligatory. <laughs> um, uh, I did find it. Uh, there's this fantastic 
everyone, I have no stake in this company every, or this website, but everybody should have this in their bookmarks. It's a, it's a website called uh, longform.org, and they, it is a curated uh, collection of long-form journalism that spans from, uh, from the, late, the late 1800s to uh, this story that just came out this month in uh, Playboy. Um, and I, I do encourage folks to look at this uh, article. It's yeah, you've totally cheated, Tim. But for this for this purpose, I, I absolutely applaud it. Um, so, McMaster, you are I think you're the youngest fellow on the podcast. Do you know what Cosmos yeah. is? Uh, Carl Sagan. Yeah, I know what Cosmos is. Now, how do you know? Did your father tell you about it? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, the story yeah, of that's... our elders. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, McMaster, do you have, have you ever, uh, did, I ask simply because Cosmos, and I presume Tim is the same way, Cosmos had a huge impact on me as a kid. Is that, did you ever go through an astronomy phase, McMaster? You know, uh, no, not that much, actually, oddly. Okay, because I think it's because, I, I'm guessing you, you sort of weren't like at that ripe age where Cosmos just like hit you right between the eyes. Um, no, so, I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. I wanted to be an archaeologist. <laughs> I guess, yeah, uh, it, it's kind of sad that the equivalent of Raiders of the Lost Ark for astronomy nerds is that, that awful contact movie. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, Tim, uh, tell me, so you obviously, I presume, that, that had an effect on you as a kid, Cosmos? Oh, yeah, Cosmos. Uh, uh, the I can never remember the name of it. I want to say it's uh, Innovention, but it was the one where... It was the one where the guy, everything led to the bomb. That was the, the like, no matter what it was, it was like, here we see the the primitive Iranians or Iraqians inventing beer. And 2,000 <laughs> years later, that led to nuclear warfare. <laughs> it's a little bit of a leap, but I've played Civilization. I know that's how it works, yes. <laughs> Civilization, oh my God. Uh, Neil Tyson would be the greatest... It, when Civilization VI inevitably comes out, it should like it should all be narrated by uh, Neil Tyson. That is my I stand by that statement, and that's how I'll tie this back to games. That's very good. But before, so why don't you? I, I have to say, Tim, I'm not sure I know who Neil Tyson is. So he is uh, he is the new face of popular science, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, he. He is. I, I can't do him. I can't do him justice. He, he's just a really good. He's a really good speaker. He's an excellent teacher. The uh, reading about how he works with kids is. It's like why didn't I have a teacher like that? Although I did have some great teachers, but I mean, he. It. It's interesting to see how he he connects with the kids. Like he. The the one example is from close to the end of the article. Uh, this is the one that really struck me. Was he was talking to this this kid Henry, and he says, "So, what what year were you born in?" And the kid says, "1999." He says, "Well, just a year before you were born, 1998. Uh, uh, we, oh God, I, I've sort of lost the thread here." So you were just explaining how he's a he's a great teacher. You wish you had a teacher like him. He's yeah. great with kids. So so this guy basically is just awesome at popularizing science, making it accessible. Yeah, exactly. He 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 just really you his enthusiasm is infective, and he's good at explaining it. And it's my own 
broken brain's fault that I forgot my one good, <laughs> the great example that I had there for a second. Well, what I what what caught my eye skimming over the article, uh, I haven't read the whole thing yet. Is there was stuff in there about star parties? Um, now, has either of you been to a star party, McMaster? Do you know what a star party is? It's not dirty, by the way. Oh well, then no, I don't. <laughs> uh, Tim, have you ever gone to a star party? Do you? I, I have done. I've been to star parties. Yes. So we have here the uh, oh, uh, Griffith Park Observatory. It's kind of a famous landmark in in Los Angeles. It was recently renovated, so I don't know if they still do this actually. And I say recently, maybe four or five years ago. But before it was renovated, once a month, uh, amateur amateur astronomers would gather on the front lawn of the Griffith Park Observatory, and anybody could come up and park their car and sort of browse around from telescope to telescope. And at any, any given telescope. And many of these were, were actually built, uh, were, were, were uh, custom-made. You know, the people that were standing there training it on some celestial object built these telescopes. And they would stand there, and you could come up and look through the telescope, and they would explain to you what you were looking at. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, it's just some distant star, but you could see nebulae, you could see planets. Uh, and it, it was just this magical experience. Uh, so... If you don't know anything about astronomy, that's a great way to get into it, is find a local uh, star party and let some astronomy nerd doc- talk to you about what you're looking at. Uh, it's, it's beautiful stuff. So, What a lot of people don't realize about astronomy is that uh, I'm going to pull a percentage out of my butt here, but, uh, <laughs> a, well, I'll just say a very large percentage of discoveries that are made, and most of the comets that are discovered are discovered by amateurs, that it's one of the last places in science where amateurs can make a real mm. large contribution to the state of the art. And as anybody who has seen Armageddon knows, that's how we are going to spot the asteroid that comes and hits the Earth and destroys it. Yeah, so. it's, that's It amuses me that they got that one thing right. <laughs> Everything thereafter was a flight of fancy, but you're right. Yeah, uh, I um, I remember as a, as a kid, Tim, a, a little brief aside, seeing Cosmos and wanting to like read up on astronomy and and just being fascinated with the fact that I could take my grandfather's binoculars and they were really powerful and I could see a little moon next to Jupiter with those binoculars. You know, Jupiter's moons just look like little teeny dim stars around this tiny disk, but it just blew my little kid mind knowing that that was a moon. So, uh, when we, at one point when we got back to, to my house, uh, I had heard that one of the reasons you can't see a lot of this stuff is because of light pollution. So that you need to get away from city lights to really be able to, to see cool things in the sky. Now, what I didn't understand was that it can't just be one particular nearby city light. You have to like get outside of the city. So I spent one evening at my house taking a water hose and trying to squirt it up at the street light outside of our house, thinking that if I could get that cold water on that hot bulb, it would pop it, and I could better see stars. And nothing came of that. It, it doesn't quite work that way. Uh, but Cosmos inspired me to try to vandalize city property. I'll, I'll say I, that. I think that is a great inspiration. <laughs> and I think, I think, I think uh, that uh, Carl Sagan would be proud to have inspired you to destroy that uh, city property. I wished I could have told him. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, kind of cheating, but uh, that is our second post of the week. And if you're going to cheat for something like that, Tim, more power to you. Uh, as a as an aside, I, it always amuses me to see where stuff from Cosmos pops up. Uh, the the one particular weird spot I saw was I don't remember the name of the artist, uh, but 
Uh, he's a Spanish artist that's uh, his videos are all very hipsterish, but the video started out basically with uh, with the introduction to Cosmos as uh, with him as Carl Sagan, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty interesting, and then it led off into this really weird video of his song. Well, I, I think for guys our age, Tim, that kind of that's like iconic. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. So, uh, McMaster, here's a quick quiz: What do Cosmos and Blade Runner have in common? Terrible narration. What? <laughs> yeah, I wow! Can't, I cannot believe you just said that. Oh my god! <laughs> a fair picture. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, Tim, would you be able to get that? That might be too movie wonky, though. Uh, I was going to say Ridley Scott, but I, I don't know. I got nothing. Uh, Vangelis wasn't Vangelis oh, the folks yeah, that did the Cosmos well, theme? Of course. Yeah. And of course, Vangelis did this. Did all kinds of soundtracks back then yeah. what i thought what i thought was interesting was in uh, mass effect and mass effect 2 was that they nailed the the sort of mid 80s uh uh movie public television <laughs> yeah that too but the the sort of mid 80s uh science fiction movie like post star wars but we don't quite have the budget feel <laughs> i will public television yeah <laughs> so you're saying so, that you're saying that about Mass Effect, the sci-fi game? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying that about Mass Effect because if you look at it, the 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 music is is basically uh, a cop of uh, it's basically a tribute to Vangelis's scores for ah okay okay the and, music and, yeah the music but also the aesthetic of the aliens. If you look at the alien designs, just about all of them are humans with with various latex things stuck to their faces. Right. There's not anything in there that you that you would need Lucas's billion dollar powerhouse to make a very bad toy out of. Well, and can I suggest that I I would suggest that probably the reason for that is the same reason that they would do that on Star Trek episodes. Just like on a Star Trek episode, it's easiest to just put a mask on a human being. For the guys doing Mass Effect, it's easiest to just use a human body model and stick a different head on it. Like, I think it's that same kind of budgetary constraint, I'm uh, guessing. And then, and then, of course, they have the one alien, the, the Krogans, that is like the big, that's the big money effect right there. Yeah, there went, there's oh, their yeah. budget. <laughs> so, All right, so, uh, McMaster, that leaves... Uh, you know what? I'm not going to say. Uh, McMaster, who's next for Post of the Week? That would be me. Aha! And, uh, well, my news story of the week is by Josh Beiser, and it's a feature on a Gamma Sutra. Entitled- oh, oops, wait a minute. I screwed us up. Post of the Week. <laughs> Start again because they're oh. posts. Of- <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Aha! I punked no. you. You did punk me. Um, uh, well, my uh, Post of the Week is a feature on Gamma Sutra by Josh Beiser named Examining Subjective Difficulty, How Plumbers Can Fight Demons. And uh, what attracted me to this was um, he goes over a few games that I find interesting. First of all is uh, God Hand, and he discusses just how God Hand's difficulty uh, varied depending on how well you were doing in the game. So, I mean, if you weren't that great at it, you weren't going to get, like, completely destroyed uh, until you started getting to, like, the higher levels. Um, but <laughs> I think the one comparison that I found the most interesting was uh, Josh compares uh, Super Mario Galaxy series and Demon Souls. Um, <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. too. <laughs> uh, uh, he says, uh, obviously, that statement needs to be clarified. Both games give the player access to all the core abilities of the character from the start of the game. Uh, 
In Mario, the plumber's abilities are movement-based, running and jumping, and a spin attack. In Demon's Souls, the abilities and mechanics revolve around combat, attack, defense, managing stamina, and counterattack. It's worth noting that players will unlock power-ups in the Super Mario Galaxy game, but these are usually confined to specific levels or gameplay scenarios. So uh, the, the article itself just goes through the way that <clears throat> each of those games give the players their entire uh, skill set, uh, and where Demon's Souls requires that you be proficient at everything from the very beginning, uh, the Super Mario games allow you to learn and go uh, at your own pace. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's actually it's just a really a uh, fascinating read if you're interested in um, anything about uh, game design or uh, popular gaming. Josh is great with that kind of stuff, and I want to say that uh, a little bit of self-pimpage here. He's starting a game diary for us uh, the day after this podcast posts, actually, on uh, five RPGs that break the rules. And uh, each day for five different days, he's going to look at an RPG and talk a little bit about how it uh, breaks the rules, how it does something different. Uh, so I love what Josh does. Uh, yeah, and I, I uh, encourage folks to check out that thing at Gamma Sintra. Uh McMaster, tell us the title again because it sounds so like scholarly and journalistic and like something that would be on Gamma Sutra. Yeah, well, exactly. Examining subjective difficulty, how plumbers can fight demons. And you laugh, but it was my job at one point to help come up with titles. So my if you will, Tom Chick. <laughs> I got. I got to say, I like that though, because it sounds like here's how it flows, and I think this is like what a good journal title should read. Like, it sounds like boring, boring, boring. Hey, what? Yeah, yeah that's kind of that's kind of your mental process reading it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, how do you guys feel? I remember feeling kind of. Um, I'm going to go ahead and use the word betrayed when I found out that in Bioshock. When you get, like, a little sliver of health, the game eases up and less damage is applied to you. And the game is, is carefully engineered to, to leave you with that little sliver of health. And then when you search dead bodies, it makes sure to give you stuff that you need. And I almost feel like it's, uh, like, that whole subjective difficulty thing. Like, like when I feel that the, the game designer is making allowances for maybe the fact that I suck, I really need that to be hidden from me because I feel betrayed if I find out. Does that, does that ever bother you guys? All I'm saying is System Shock 2 thinks that Bioshock's a wussy. <laughs> I think the game was easy. Uh, I, I will cop to being one of the few people that didn't like Bioshock. Okay. And... Okay. Yeah. And that ends this week's podcast. We are now done. <laughs> McMaster and I will take over from here. Yeah, very fun. <laughs> no, so that's that's a fair point. Was that one of the things that bothered you about it? Or actually, that wasn't it at all. Okay. I don't know what it, I honestly don't know what it was that I don't like about Bioshock. I just know that I don't like it. Fair enough. Um, you know, Tim, it's entirely possible that some people just hate fun. Yeah. Well, <laughs> coming from you, that's a little strange. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> I, I don't want. <laughs> Um, but the I don't I don't really have a problem with with that being done as long as it also goes in the other direction. Like I like how um, I like how Left 4 Dead did it, where if you're doing yeah. if if you're just kind of stand you know everyone's kind of standing around talking for a little bit, the game will get tired of you doing that, so it will throw ah. a tank at you, right, or right. whatever. But if if you know, everyone's really low on health. It'll kind of ease up on the on the big sub boss type monsters and send more of the hordes at you that are easier to deal with at that uh, at that level of health. 
And I, 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 I like, I like it when games do that. I don't know that I like it so much if they go to the point where it's like, oh, well, you're really, really hurt. So, you know, I'm just going to lay off for a bit while you go hunker down behind a boulder and wait for the red paint to fall off of your screen. Well, now, so out of curiosity then, what, oh, so the regenerating health thing you're talking about. Right. Right. Well, again, I, I love what you describe in Left 4 Dead. I love that, but please don't let me know it. <laughs> right. You know, uh, it's sort of the sort of thing where when I know something, like, it's like, uh, oh, rats, uh, in Oblivion. You know, Oblivion, the stuff would level with you. And yeah. I think that's a great, that's a great design if, if someone in hadn't theory. told me that. In theory, right. If I had never known that, if no, someone had never explained that to me, I would have been trucking through playing Oblivion thinking, hey, I'm here exactly the moment I'm supposed to be here because everything's the same level. That's great. I'm a smart gamer. I know exactly where to go at the right time. But to know that the world is adjusting itself to me uh, just feels, I, I, I just don't want to know that. I, I need to be kept in the dark sometimes. Yeah, that's so. fair enough. Uh, all right, so those are our posts of the week. Uh, I invite folks to check out Josh's article at Gamma Sutra and on the front page of Quarter to Three very shortly. Uh, McMaster, where does that bring us right now? And that brings us to games. Ooh, I'd like to see Tim squirm out of this one and try to bring up some non-game related story. Uh, well, actually, no. Uh, <laughs> My game of the week is the rally racing with, uh, what's his name? Peter Soderberg. <laughs> Sir Sodberg, uh, something like that. Sodheim. No, yeah. Holly um, Adventure. Why don't you start us off, Tim? Since I'm pretty sure. I mean, uh, sorry, Tom. Since I'm pretty sure you're going to provoke Tim. Oh, I, I want to hear this. I, I am going to provoke Tim, but not with my game of the week. My my oh. provocation is a standalone provocation that I will roll out if he brings up the game I'm afraid he's going to bring up. Uh, but my particular game of the week, it's more of a McMaster provocation. Oh no! So, yep, that's right, McMaster. Last week, your game of the week was some little iPhone dippy like tower defense thing. Oh, Kingdom Rush, I think it was called. And you know what? I call it dippy. I don't know. Maybe it was awesome. But I gave you grief. Yes. Okay. Well, I would like to retract that grief because my game of the week this week is a free-to-play iPhone game. And I uh, sheepishly admit that I have chosen something called uh, oh rats. What is it called? Jetpack. Joyride? No. Yeah, Jetpack Joyride. Now, I've heard a lot about that today. Like, people keep mentioning that to me today. Well, you're about to get even more of a near full, McMaster. Oh. So, Jetpack Joyride. Tim, by the way, do you have an iPhone? Do you do any I, iPhone gaming? I do. Okay. In fact, in fact you and I have uh, played uh, Ascension. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, yes. Did I win? You dropped out. Oh, the whole holiday break, so I wasn't, you know, I didn't drop out. Sure, it was the holiday break. It wasn't the fact that I just got some great cards. <laughs> I did notice, I, I got out after a few days of uh, just not doing gaming stuff, just sort of being away, and noticed, I thought I had a lot more games going. What happened? Yeah, and, that, that new timer that they added caught everybody by surprise, I think. Uh, I had about eight games just completely fall apart after about, uh, I think a lot of people said it for like 30 minutes. Because I think that was the default when it came out. Ah, right, right. And yeah. that really wasn't working for a lot of the games I was in. And the thing is, those forfeits are on our permanent records. I uh, I demand a recount. Exactly. Well, so this iPhone game, uh, I'm tempted to pick Ascension. Uh, I did play a lot of that. I have been playing a lot of that. But this is an iPhone game that I picked up. I don't know how I picked it up. I think someone emailed me or I heard it was... I, I, I was going to say I heard it was free, but it's always free. It's a free-to-play game. It's called Jetpack Joyride. 
Uh, and I'm going to complain about the free-to-play in a moment. But first, I want to tell you what's cool about it. Uh, it's very similar to one of my favorite games from last year called Tiny Wings. Tiny Wings was an adorable little thing where you're a bird that flies, and you're trying to fly as far to the right side as you can. And all you do is you tap to make the bird, like, tuck himself in and... Uh, Go and fly up or whatever. Like it's a one-touch control, and Joypack Jet Ride is the same way. You you just tap the screen and your little guy fires his uh, jetpack. He's constantly moving to the right of the screen, and you simply control his altitude. And all you're trying to do is get him as far as you can. And it measures your progress before you hit a barricade and die. You only have one life. Uh, it measures your progress in meters. So every time you sit down and play, it's just a few minutes, and you're you're basically logging hopefully, a, a new distance. Now, a couple things they throw in to make it a little less, to, to make sure it's not kind of as like simple as Tiny Wings. Tiny Wings is a very simple, straightforward game. There's no real RPG elements. Here you get some RPG elements in that as you're moving across the screen, there are coins you can pick up. There's a little token that will be flying around, and you can pick it up, and for each of these tokens you pick up, you get a spin on a slot machine at the end of the level when you die. You know, it might give you money, or it might let you continue from where you died. Uh, you can run over these power-ups that put you out of your jetpack into a vehicle, like a motorcycle, or there's a flying robot bird, or a mech, or a gravity suit. There's a teleportation machine. So there's plenty going on as you're moving along the screen. And one of the things that happens is you, you earn these coins, and you, you save the coins uh, between games. And what you can buy with these coins are little uh, costume bits. You can buy improvements to your jetpack. You can buy, and some might consider this cheating, but it's in the game, you can buy a head start, where instead of starting at the start line, you start at the 1,000-meter line. You know, So you're immediately adding that to your distance. Um, now, what I love about it is how quickly it plays, how it's got this little RPG mechanic. Uh, one of my favorite things about it, hold on, I have a cat to deal with. One of my favorite things about it is that at any given time, you have three missions. And these are little sub-goals that when you meet them, you earn a star and you can go up levels and get more money. It feeds into the coin system. But at any given time, there are three things that you're trying to do to tick off of a list. Uh, for instance, a mission might be uh, amass a certain amount of money. Or one of the early missions, there's little scientists running around, is uh, just walk past a scientist and the little guy gives him a high five. So one of the early missions is get ten high fives on scientists. Uh, slide a total of 50 meters on your, on your face after you've uh, wiped out. So at any given time, like right now, when I play Jetpack Joyride, I have on the side of my screen uh, the following missions. I'm, I have to reach 500 meters without using a vehicle. Pretty straightforward. Uh, I have to collect 200 coins in one game. Also pretty simple. And I have to reach 3,000 meters. Those are the little three tasks hanging over my head. And once I accomplish one of them, I earn stars, and a new task comes in and fills its place. So I, I love the way this game is paced. I love the way the goals are doled out. But what I hate, oh, God, what I hate so much, because it's a free-to-play game, you can go to iTunes, you can download it for free, you can play it all you want, there are no limits, but where they make their money is those little coins that you gather to buy the head starts, to buy costume bits, to buy changes to your jetpack or improvements to the power-ups that you pick up. The coins that you earn, you can buy separately. Now, normally, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Tom, if you don't like that stuff, don't buy any coins. And that's exactly what's going to happen. But 
there is no way playing normally that you were going to earn enough coins to really accomplish anything. Like, the stuff is so expensive and you make so little money each time that it really feels like it's not quite a nag, but I'm just so aware that the in-game economy is not self-contained. That it really counts on you putting some money into it if you want to partake of the whole little coin system. And I would rather pay the, you know, dollar ninety-nine up front uh, than deal with the fact that I... You know, that I've got to earn this, that I've got to pay after playing the game. And so that's uh, that's my choice for Game of the Week. It's a free-to-play game that, in spite of being free-to-play, I'm really enjoying, and I just kind of wish that it, the economy was more self-contained rather than tied into me making micropayments. Now, it's, uh, it's funny you mention that. I just started playing a game called Legendary Heroes, which is free uh, to play as well. And uh, it does something where it has these uh, gems, or uh, diamonds, I guess, and uh, gold coins, like you were describing. And it also has, like, little submissions that earn you, like, coins and gems. Um, McMaster, I can already tell you're, you're, you're going to make me want to play this. I don't, I don't know that you should do that. Well, it is free right now. Uh, but it's, it's like a single-player League of Legends. Uh, oh, I don't, I don't like you talking, McMaster, because you're, you're going to make me... Well, is it maybe so something that... It cuts out the worst part of the game, then. Well, right. That's what like I made a I made a thread on quarter three today, uh, quarter three uh, about it today, and uh, Robert Sharp asked me about that, and I was like, yeah, it's uh, you know, he's like, yeah, is there a single player mode? Uh, I've always wanted to play a MOBA game, especially LOL, but I hear terrible things about the community, especially if you're new to a game, as I would be. So I was like, yep, there's uh, it's only single player, so nothing to worry about there. Dadgummit. All right, McMaster. What's the stupid thing called? Legendary Heroes? Yeah, and it's really weird because uh, you control three heroes, but not all at the same time. Like, you only control one at a time, and the others get taken over by AI. And, uh, you know... Party how, it's like you got a party going. Right, right. But you're, like, you know, destroying towers and going for bases, and there's creep and everything. But we'll get to more of talk like that when my game of the week comes around. Uh, well, you know what? I'm finally time. So are, are you next? No, 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 Tim. You can go. I'll save. Uh, I'll save this one. Ah, okay. Uh, rather unsurprisingly, I think <laughs> from the hints earlier, my game of the week is Tiny Tower. No, it's uh, Star Wars: The Old Republic. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> So is there any particular reason you're playing Yakety Sax for me? Is that, the, <laughs> is that the taunt you've been holding back? I see how it is. That is one of that is one of a couple. I've got another one for you in a little bit, but uh, I cannot believe you're going to uh, do that. And you know what? I know McMaster's digging it. Uh, you're digging it. That's fine. I just I, I <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not going to be a naysayer. I promise. I respect their very cool things about Star Wars: Old Republic. So, so Tim, take it away. Ignore me. <laughs> okay. All, all I have to say to you as a naysayer is at least uh, play it to. The end, until you finish the first uh, flashpoint, I guess is what they're calling. Oh no, no! I, I should point out to him. I, I definitely played it. I haven't played oh, it yeah. since it came out, but I, I played in the beta. Uh, I, I've spent a fair amount of time with it. And that's why I say I, I can respect some of the things that it does. Um, but I just had this just over, and we don't have to get into this, but. In a nutshell, I just had this overwhelming sense of kind of MMO fatigue while, while trying to get into it. Um, that is, I totally respect that. 
there are certain times. Actually, I, I will say this: despite it being my game of the week, mm-hmm. I my main character is a little bit mothballed at the moment because I'm about halfway through Hoth, and I'm really tired of looking at snow. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have to say I'm a little jealous. McMaster, have you been to Hoth? No. Uh, I'll be honest. I, I hit the wall pretty hard uh, once I got past like some of the earlier story parts where like the story actually kind of moves at a clip. And then you get to the areas where it's like, oh boy, this is going to be a good time. I'm going to be running a lot. And, uh, I, yeah. And so I started making alts. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So is that is that where you're at, Tim? Is that you've uh, because you're tired of looking at snow, you're now uh, succumbed to altitis? Oh, oh, I'm famous for my altitis anyway. I mean, I'm not quite on a on a Marcus level or anything, but oh, I'm not Marcus. Yeah, Marcus is out of control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but I I mean, literally within the first week, I had uh, four characters at at tenth level. Besides my main character, who was like pushing twenty, I think. Good lord. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, the thing is, is that the thing that I, I love about it is that it's basically a lot of really good Bioware stories that I get to play co-op with other people. You know, and I'll agree with you there. Like the big problem I have is the way I was looking at it is it's like it's like playing two different games. I just don't want to play one of them. Yeah, the, I, I get that I mean? not wanting to play World of Warcraft. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's like space pajamas on, but. Space is that yours, Tim? Because I totally got to steal that. That's beautiful. Yeah, it, I it literally just came up with it. Uh, Space pajamas is beautiful. That, that is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I I totally get that. I'm not quite sick. I I just took a long break from World of Warcraft, so I was not. Uh, I can't believe how long I played that game. Jeez. Yeah. Anyway, dude, man. <laughs> it's best, Tim, not to think about it. Put it behind it, no, you. No, it, it really isn't. It's like, man, I could have learned how to play guitar or something useful during that time. <laughs> you could speak Japanese by now. Yeah. No, that would not happen. <laughs> uh, so, but uh, are you, do you feel like you're going to stick with Old Republic for a while? Is this going to be a, you dipped in, you sampled it, you're done? Or is this going to be a several-month subscription deal? I'm fairly committed to finishing I'm committed to finishing one storyline completely and the things that I've I've heard about some of the Sith side characters and what I've experienced so far in just like the first 12 levels of uh, Imperial Agent makes me pretty confident that I'm going to finish at least one dark side character are you uh, uh, a threeville I, I I think my I think my Imperial Agent is in threeville and yeah, uh, all my all my light side, all my Republic side characters are in uh, the Navy, uh, with the, the Royal Navy, with the, the with the Jim, yes. Mister Rasputin. Yeah, um, yeah. One of my friends is God. He has to be near fifty now. Is in Threeville, uh, so that's I, I don't even know how that happens. No, is fifty the level cap? Yeah, yeah. We've got two fifties in uh, in uh, what you call it in the Royal Navy. Uh, Senjak and Kingfisher. I don't. I think Kingfisher is. I'm not sure who Kingfisher is. On the now, now, Tim, do you see any uh, like when you when you look ahead and you talk about finishing the storyline? Do you see any viable end game, or is it just like a raid loot grind, or what? What happens when you're done with the, the storyline? Uh, well, what from my understanding, from what I've heard from our 250s, is that once you hit 50, there's still plenty of storyline to go. 
Wait, um, whoa, 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 but wow, that's but you're not earning XP. Yeah, I know. Go, no, look out. <laughs> um, I, I don't know about you guys, but I really feel like I'm so keyed into this idea of, like, advancement and learning new yeah. stuff. If, if I hit the level cap and they want me to still play missions for a storyline stuff, I, I don't... I, I don't know if I would lose interest. I mean, that would be weird well, to me. I'll say this. That's, I, think, I think that they saw that complaint, or I shouldn't even say complaint, but that observation coming. Mm-hmm. And there's the whole legacy feature, which isn't fully implemented yet, but you can at least earn legacy experience, which will apply once they implement the rest of the legacy stuff. And basically what that is is that's like a family level that applies to all of your characters on the account. Right, I forgot about that. That little Actually, I love that, that twist. Uh, that sounds very cool. You know what? Okay, then I, fine. I'll hit level 50 and I'll keep playing. So there. <laughs> Big yeah, one so deal. <laughs> but, and and I, know, I know you're going to, uh, to scoff at this slightly. The, the reason it's my game of the week is because it's fun. Yeah, I don't know that... I'm going to have to bleep that out, Tim. We <laughs> <laughs> know that's fair. I mean, that's totally fair. If, if you are... if you're, I completely understand, like, digging the world and being into the whole MMO vibe and liking Bioware's kind of story stuff. And, you know, I, I cannot in the least dispute that. So more power to you. Good. Uh, Plus, I, I'm really, really digging some of the callbacks to uh, uh, Knights of the Old Republic on when you get to, say... Uh, Terrace, where they make callbacks to some of the big fights from uh, Kotor. Mm-hmm. There, like the I forget the name. The name of the ship eludes me at the moment. The, I want to say the Shattered Star. Eben Hawk. Oh no, the uh, the uh, all I can come up with is Eben Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I, all right, so that's uh, that's working for you. You're going to stick with it. Uh, you've got a community of folks, and actually that. Uh, Tim is a huge part of I think sticking with an MMO. If you know other people playing, I've I've been playing a fair amount of Rift lately, and it's it's a very solitary experience. Even though I'll do some of the instance dungeons and stuff and group with people, but if you don't know outside the realm of the game, certain other people that are playing, it can be a real grind. If you do know other people outside the game, that in and of itself is a huge draw to stick with something. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, one of the actually interestingly enough, that wasn't enough to keep me in Rift, uh, which had a pretty hefty uh, drop barrier presence uh-huh. um, I don't know what it was but I got to the the first area after like when you're in your 20s I think mm-hmm. the first time you leave really the, the starting area and the my, enjoy, the my enjoyment of the game just ceased I don't know what it was um, maybe it was grinding or something. I don't know. It just didn't. It wasn't working for me anymore. Sure, sure. Fair enough. Uh, well, if you were to go there now, uh, Tim, it would be a ghost town. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> well, I think everybody's at the level cap who is still playing. So if you know, if you're like me and you you're picking up a character in his twenties, it's sort of like, hey, where did everyone go? Because <laughs> it used to be so crowded. I mean, you remember oh, yeah. those early days of Rift. Man, just people running around like crazy, and all these rifts opening, and armies sort of getting spit out. It was, it was, yeah, it it was, uh, it was was like graphic card churning. Oh yeah, like, (laughs) like oh god. Oh, the like you, you, you walk out of you walk out of the main city, and then all of a sudden, all every single fan in your PC spins up to like hair dryer levels. <laughs> yeah, I remember like you couldn't like turn in quests half the time because all the cities were freaking like conquered constantly. 
Yeah. Well, it's, it's like that now, McMaster, but because they adjust it to the number of players, which ties a little bit into what we talked about earlier with Josh's article, but because they adjust it to the number of players in a zone, you'll go in to turn in a, a quest, and, oh, a little army has conquered the town, but the army you can easily beat alone because you're the only person in that region. <laughs> so it's sort of like you have to sort of clean up the streets a little bit from time to time. And the streets, you know, it's easy enough to do on your own solo. So. Yeah. All right, so... That's pretty cool. I said, I, you know, I still have an account, and actually it's still active. I I still pay them, though I don't play much because I, I think they're cool. But uh, well, well, McMaster, I know one other guy playing, so if you uh, want to jump back in, I'll put you in touch with him. And his uh, name is me. I don't know him. <laughs> I'll introduce you. <laughs> okay, good. He, he hates fun, though, I should warn you. I know. <laughs> oh, how we know. <laughs> All right, so Tim choosing a uh, Star Wars game as game of the week. McMaster, who does that leave us with? That leaves us with me. Um, and my game of the week is Dota 2. I have sat on it long enough. I got to talk about Dota 2. Uh, now, what is this Dota 2 thing? Obviously, that's not what it's called. It's an a- That's an acronym for something, right? <laughs> oh, no, I believe that is what Valve's calling it, which kills me. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. kills me. It, how is it Dota 2 if there wasn't a Dota? Because, I mean, it's, yeah, it's Defense of the Ancients. I just, oh. Anyway. Um, well, Dota 2 is a new, God, what did they call it? Arms or something like that. Arts. Action. Well, I, don't, I, I don't even know what you're saying. Oh, oh. You know how there's there's the MOBA thing? Well, Valve has their own term. I think it's arts. Action yeah. RTS. You know what? That's that's catchy, but as an RTS stalwart, I'm not happy with it. Well, no. See, that's the problem. And MOBA sounds kind of stupid. There's no really great way to describe them. But anyway, um, it's the sequel of sorts to the massively popular uh, genre-starting Defense of the Ancients, the uh, modification for Warcraft 3 based on the StarCraft map Ion of Strife. <laughs> That's wow. very good, McMaster. There's a lot of backstory in one sentence. Well played. <laughs> yes, well, you know, not everybody's an expert on MOBA. <laughs> now, this game isn't out yet, so why don't you tell us, you're, you're technically playing a beta, correct? Right, right. Like, uh, for a while, they were sending out betas, and when they did, they would send out two guest invites with them. I don't know if they're doing that anymore. In fact, I think the last round did not have guest invites. Mm. Um, so somebody got invited and then uh, gave me their guest pass. Uh, so I've been uh, I've been playing around with it for the last month or so, uh, maybe a little longer. I can't even remember at this point. Um, and uh, I'm impressed. You know, uh, it's it's coming along really well. Uh, well, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, uh, you know it's the thing that I, I think really strikes me the most is it's it's got a lot of personality, mm-hmm. a lot of personality. Now, McMaster, as a League of Legends, um, we could call you an addict or an aficionado. Or uh, either way. Yeah. Either way? Yeah. As, as one of those for League of Legends, uh, why don't you explain how you feel about Dota 2 in comparison to League of Legends? Well, they're, they're two really... They're similar in a lot of ways, but um, Dota 2 is a much slower-paced game uh, than League of Legends. League of Legends... Uh, kind of has this uh, several mechanics that speed play up um 
now with Dota, you have uh, you know, uh, well both both teams' uh, bases stream creep towards each other to fight, and then they have towers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, well, uh, in League of Legends, you're just dealing with creep and enemy champions and the tower damage. Uh, in Dota, you also have what's called denying, which was initially a piece of Warcraft Three because Warcraft Three had a um, resource limit for the amount of units you could create. You had to be able to kill units. So, when uh, they originally developed Defense of the Ancients, uh, it wasn't really, uh, I guess, specifically designed that way, but since it was a part of the game, it allowed you to kill your own units, thus denying the enemy team gold and experience. So, if, you know, a unit's really low and you can get the last hit on it before the enemy, they don't get any experience at all for it, or gold. And that's very uh, that's very big in those games. Because uh, the entire idea is that you go from level 1 to level whatever as quickly as possible. Um, and uh, along that trip, you have to make as much gold as you can to uh, equip your character well enough to survive. Um, in League of Legends, there's a level cap of 18, um, and there's no, as far as I've hit at least, uh, level cap in Dota 2. Um, whoa, 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 what? That's, that's crazy. Yeah, it runs uh, a good bit differently. You know how League of Legends has, each character has like uh, an overall passive skill, mm-hmm. and then they have three powers and an ultimate. Mm-hmm. And each of those powers has uh, five levels. The ultimate has three levels. So each level, you're, you will eventually have all of your skills by the end. Of, when you hit 18, you will have ticked your last skill. Right. And, uh, in Dota 2, um, the powers, uh, the amount of powers you have, uh, I believe there's three in an ultimate, but you don't have an overall passive, and they, they each only have four levels, and I think the ultimate has three. So you run out of points to be able to spend uh, actually it's kind of weird uh, around le- well by level 16 um, but the way it works is that uh, you can increase your stats uh, when you level instead of putting a point to powers mm-hmm. um, and the what's I think one of the biggest differences is that, like all the powers in dota start out very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, League of Legends kind of start out weaker, and as you advance the game, you get attack damage and ability power, and those modify your powers and how much damage you do. Whereas in uh, Dota 2, your your stats, which you have strength, agility, and intelligence, uh, depending on which of those is your primary stat, each point you get in that stat gives you a point of damage. Plus, um, depending on what the stat is, gives you different bonuses. For instance, strength is how much health you have, uh, agility is how fast you attack, intelligence is your mana pool, etc. Um, so, as you're playing the game, if you choose to increase stats, it'll add like a couple of points to each of your stats. And of course, that's just a bonus. But uh, so, as you go, you know, you, uh, you go well past level 18. I've been up to level 25 or 26. Um, and uh, usually, if you're that level, you're winning. Um, but uh, it's a it's it's kind of a slower game, and it's much more severe. I mean, other than the fact that there's denying, there's also um, uh, every time you die, you lose gold that the enemies get. Right. 
Which, you know, League of Legends, of course, you don't lose gold or anything. You're just not out there earning gold or getting experience. But, you know, whatever. Now, J. Jason McMaster, you mentioned before that it has a lot of personality. That's one of your favorite things about it. Right. Uh, t- tell us about some of the uh, heroes that you personally prefer playing. Uh, what do they do? What are they like? Who are they? Well, um, there's there's quite a few. Now, uh, mm-hmm. one big thing I, I'll give Valve is is they're good at personality. That's one of the things that stands out to me about the Left 4 Dead games. Um, uh, you know, Team Fortress. Uh, in, in, you know, anything uh, they do has uh, interesting writing and voice work. And um, the characters all have kind of, uh, or not all of them, but a lot of them have back history between each other. So depending on which character is playing against which character and what happens, different lines may get shot out there. Like for instance, there's two sisters. There's uh, the uh, Lena, who's the fire mage, and uh, and if I get this wrong, Dota fans or whatever, don't go crazy. But I believe it's the crystal. Maiden is her sister, and, one's, and she's an ice mage. And uh, one of my favorite lines, hands down, is if uh, if the Crystal Maiden kills Lena, Lena says something like, "You were adopted before she dies," you know, and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, uh, and there's all sorts of great lines like that that are just peppered throughout the game. Uh, uh, like uh, I, in my post on the front page of Quarter to Three, I, I linked to one that I really liked, which was from Windrunner, who's like this redheaded archer girl, and uh, she says, "You know, why do you hate gingers so?" As she dies. And <laughs> and, uh, uh, there's just like a lot of uh, back and forth smack talk between the characters. Um, a lot of really cool animation. Uh, the powers look really good. And unlike uh, some of the other games out there, which my big thing for me in League of Legends was that the graphics were cartoony enough that it was easy enough to tell things apart. Whereas in like, just for instance, uh, Heroes of New Earth, you have um, very earthy backgrounds with very like you know gray you know characters and brown characters and just really dark earthy tones it it gets kind of like a little confusing um with dota 2 they've actually managed to keep things vibrant enough that it's uh it's easy enough to pick apart now i mean that may be a little unfair to heroes and new earth but i always just uh liked a, a brighter style it's easier to uh for the eye or at least mine um now, McMaster, when can us mere mortals who didn't get in, uh, who didn't get a special little invite from Valve, when can we play Dota 2? Uh, you know, that's a good question. They they keep hinting at you know quarter one, quarter two this year, but I yeah, or at least that's uh, kind of the buzz. But I, I don't know. Uh, you know, they release a new hero almost every week, um, and. Uh, it's uh it's still got some like work to go, but the the core game itself is working well. Uh, they just need uh, some work on the community features, I believe. And so far, what is your experience with the community? Bigger jerks or smaller jerks than in League of Legends? Uh, you know, since this is kind of a smaller beta, it's kind of uh, not as big of a jerk crowd. However. Uh, you know, I've seen a few. We'll put it that way. Right. But it's it's right. not rampant quite yet. There's actually people excited to play that aren't just angry as hell. So. Right. All right. So your your game of the week is a game not even out yet. Way to lord it over people. Oh hey, uh, you know, jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Because anybody can go play Jetpack Joyride or Star Wars Old Republic right now, but Dota two? Nope. You got to wait. Hey, hey, you know, Troy Goodfellow has it too, and he like never plays it. So I'm calling Troy out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, McMaster, watch this. I'm gonna I'm gonna troll Tim right now. Ready for this? Right. Watch this. I'm, I'm ready. 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 So Tim, I understand that you uh you for a while you had to put down racing games for a little bit, but uh you now could theoretically play a racing game. But so I'm curious. I want to ask you, why on earth would you want to play some boring game where you're just driving around the same track a couple of times, trying to shave a few seconds off off your time? Like how? How can that why wouldn't you want to do that? I mean, that's that's really the the whole point. If if you don't get why the the pursuit of the tenth of a second isn't a is is a thing, if you don't understand that pursuit, then you won't understand racing games. And now, McMaster, is that an accurate portrayal of you? Because I believe when, when I've tried to talk like driving games in the past, McMaster, you've been all like, "Oh, I don't I don't like driving games." Yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh... So, McMaster, you do not understand the pursuit of a tenth of a second that Tim is talking about. Uh, no. No. <laughs> uh, Tim, can you sell him on that? I've not tried. Really. If, yeah, if, I can't if, either. Yeah, driving games are, there's no there's no convincing people, I don't think. I mean, well, I mean, to be fair, I played the hell out of the original two Gran Turismos. Uh, so you hate driving games? Yeah. <laughs> after that, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Tim, did you do the? Because uh, I, you know, I've, I've had my share of Forza. Certainly, the Need for Speeds, the Dirt series. Uh, I, I have not kept up with the Gran Turismo series. Did you spend any time with the latest Gran Turismo? I did. And is it is it awful? Should I try it? Like, what, what are your thoughts on on that? Is it four, five? What is it? Five. Five. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Five. Uh, it took me a long time to pick it up. Apparently, the most egregious of its issues were at least partially resolved by the time I got my hands on it. Mm-hmm. It's still... I don't like its driving model very much. And I have played some terrible driving games that I enjoyed the hell out of. Uh, just to name two off the top of my head, uh, Split Second and uh, <laughs> Fuel. That's me trolling you, by the way. I, and it's not going to work because I fully appreciate that you don't need a realistic or even a meaningful driving model to make a good racing game. And I will counter troll you, Tim, by pointing out uh, burnout, oh. any, any burnout. <laughs> burnout uh, Burnout games are barely racing games, but I still enjoy them. They're right. rad. They're pretty uh, on, the other hand, I'm, on the other hand, I have played and loved every Ridge Racer, so I can't really cast down. Whoa, whoa, oh, whoa, yeah. That's God. Hot. I feel like. I, Tim, I gotta say, I feel like I don't even know you. <laughs> I, I, cheerfully, I cheerfully admit that they are terrible. They have very little to do with driving, but for whatever reason, they 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 hit the pleasure center of my brain somehow. It's, I just have to say this to you: Were you super excited when Cass or I said Ridge Racer, Ridge I Racer? I was. I was. So I, you were the guy. You were the one guy that gave. I was. I was the one guy. You were here. Yes, that was me. Uh huh. I recognized the voice. That's right. I tell. Uh, so, so Tim, I, I, I just was kidding you because I think you and I definitely share that uh, affection for driving games. I'm not a sports guy, and I certainly don't follow. Like, it's cool listening to you talk about Peter Soderberg. Uh, I don't follow real life racing, but I can understand the appeal of. You know, really digging into a, a driving system, a physics model, whether it's realistic or not, I kind of, in a way, don't care as long as it's got some personality. Uh, and I know you you share the the, the same thing uh, oh, yeah. that I do there. Uh, so uh, you also, you and I, didn't we play a skateboarding game? Didn't we play what's the yes. EA series? What was the yes, skate. skate? Yeah, yeah. How could you forget that name? Yeah. Uh, That's so, a good one. And you know what? So McMaster, you like if you like skateboarding games, like. It, 
Tim, let me put this to you. Can you see any continuity between like why someone would like a driving game and why someone like might like one of those skateboarding games? No continuity. Really? Because it's not like... Like, the driving games, you're trying to shave a tenth of a second off. The skateboarding games, and you're doing the same thing. You're running the same track. You're maybe tuning your car. But the skateboarding games, you're trying to get uh, land a particular trick or uh, amass a certain amount of score. Um, well, yeah, in in a way, I, all games essentially are Pong, right? Well, but, but I'm saying in a way, I sort of feel like, they, like I, I, I wonder... I wonder if they tap into the same corner of my brain. Like that same corner of my brain that wants to get that extra tenth of a second might be the same corner of my brain that makes me want to do this ramp jump over and over and over again and try to land a trick. I, d- I don't know. Maybe not. That, that uh, it, is, it is definitely a, uh, like a personal accomplishment thing, although I don't really see how you can call it a personal accomplishment if you're doing it in a video game. But uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, don't, I don't know about you, Tim. I, I'm, I think I'm a little too old and timid to actually get on a skateboard. Yeah, I'm I'm a classic example of a self-hating gamer, so I mean it's no big deal. And that's uh, as a fellow self-loathing gamer, I I think that's entirely healthy. Yeah, the uh, but I I did love I did love the skate series that uh, I I liked I liked um, what's his face is uh, Tony Hawk's games for like the first two and a half. Yeah, yeah, that's about where it dies. Yeah. And then, then it just went. It went all the. It went all to hell. And then yeah, three was like the last good one, you know. And four yeah. was like I don't know. Yeah, and then underground, and then oh look, now Oof. we have Bam Margera, who is an interesting. He's a pretty good skater if you like a guy who does a lot of tricks on mini ramps. Um, but uh, that I mean that was just like the well, we might as well. I've been hanging out with Bam lately, so let's ride the whole jackass. Coattails thing. Well, right, exactly. Though. I have to say, Tim, I think it speaks volumes that you lead off mentioning a Tony Hawk game with uh, having to struggle for his name. <laughs> you know, what's his name? <laughs> but that has more to do with my uh, uh, dis- my dysnomia problems than anything else. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really do think, as far as like skateboarding video games, I think Tony Hawk is a lot less relevant since the skate series. Uh, oh, yeah. EA, EA has just well, really done some great stuff there. It didn't help. They gave him, like, a virtual boy controller and shit like that. Oh. I, mean, so, <laughs> I think it's so awful. The, uh, yeah, the wheel of skateboard, what? Oh, that, my God. That was, just the, that was Activision going, oh, well, you know, we've, we've got this whole music thing. I'm sure people love to have a toy skateboard they can throw through their TV too which I think most of us it lives near our uh, our DJ Hero turntables <laughs> it's our Tony yeah, Hawk well, ride skateboard and our DJ Hero turntable the only thing about DJ Hero is I'll actually occasionally play that I yeah, will, I I will never touch Tony Hawk ride again I will never I had never bought it and if I could find it on Craigslist for somebody gives me 20 bucks to take it away I might pick it up Oh, they have to pay you. Like yeah. on Craigslist, come get this copy of Tony Hawk Ride. We'll pay $20. Yes, I, I am afraid to touch it. <laughs> it gives me a rash. Please, for the love of God, get it out of my apartment. Maybe I would I would pick it up. Tim, I think by those standards, you are the clear winner on this podcast. <laughs> so. yeah. uh, McMaster, what are we going to bring folks next week on the Quarter to Three Games podcast? Chaos. That's what. No, wait, no, that, um, we we might. We don't know. Those things might happen. Well, that's true. It's Brian Rubin, actually. Uh, but uh, games, news, and forum posts or posts. Now, 
whatever. Yeah, post from anywhere. It could be the forum. It could be the long journal site that Tim went to. It could be from Playboy. You know, that's what we got this week. Uh, with Brian Rubin, I am guessing we're going to be talking spaceship games. No, that's my guess. I'm just I as I I'm sometimes prescient. I'm putting that out there. So kind of like how you would assume I would talk about a lot of driving games. For some I, I, we did. I love that you got in your st- Petter Sodberg. Am I Goldberg. Even- Solberg. <laughs> I just want to relate him. Uh, I, I'm glad you got a little rally racing in there. So uh, best of luck to Petter Solberg. Uh, Tim, thank you for hanging out with us today. I, Thanks I, for having me. I appreciated that. Uh, folks listening, uh, rate us on iTunes, please. If you do, Jason T. McMaster will give you a dollar next time he sees you. Or maybe a copy of Ustar. Yeah, no one knows. <laughs> That's right. no, no one entered the contest. <laughs> When wow. McMaster sees you, he will put his hands behind his back, and one hand is a dollar, and another hand is a copy of you, Star, and you get to pick a hand. If, if you rate us yeah. uh, I am Tom Chick. This has been uh, me with uh, Jason and Tim. Thank you for listening. Come on back next week, and uh, we look forward to talking to you then. Uh, Tim, would you have recognized that as exploding plastics? Yeah, as soon as you started playing, I'm like, I know why you were asking me now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I meant to give you a shout out for introducing me to these guys, so uh, sorry about that. But uh, no problem. <laughs>